Hi, everybody. I am John Allen, the editor of Crux, and this is Last Week in the Church. Today is, of course, Good Friday. I hope you were all experiencing a deeply blessed and rewarding Holy Week. Uh, yesterday was also the opening day in the baseball season, and if there isn't a greater metaphor for hope and rebirth than that, uh, I don't know what it is. Uh, and so this is a deeply meaningful time on multiple levels. Prayers uh, as always, for, for all of us to be able to experience the spirit of amazement that Pope Francis said ought to be at the heart of Holy Week and the story of salvation. Now, even though this is the peak period on the Christian liturgical calendar, that doesn't mean the news cycle goes on hiatus. In fact, if anything, this is prime time uh, around the Vatican. And so here's what we've got for you on the menu this week. An odd couple, Holy Thursday. Uh, the Pope's love-hate relationship with Argentina rolls on. Uh, this is the most dangerous week of the year to be a Christian. The way of the cross, according to Pope Francis. And finally, take me out to the ballpark, baby. Baseball is back. That is what's waiting for you this week, so please... Stick around. Okay, we begin this week with the Pope's odd couple, Holy Thursday. So typically on Holy Thursday, of course, uh, the Pope would celebrate the Mass of the Lord's Supper, the, the liturgical festival that celebrates the inauguration of the Eucharist by Christ. Uh, and, and in a sense also celebrates the, the priesthood itself. Typically all the priests of a diocese would gather in the cathedral, the Pope would gather his priests around him and so on. Uh, and typically that would be done in St. Peter's Basilica. However, uh, this year the Pope chose not to take part in the Holy Thursday Mass in St. Peter's Basilica. That was instead led by Italian Cardinal John Battista Ray. Uh, former prefect of the Congregation of Bishops, former sustituto in the Secretary of State, a longtime Vatican official, current dean of the College of Cardinals. Uh, now, so we had assumed uh, the Pope would simply be absent. Uh, and that left the question, of course, well, okay, if he's not doing St. Peter's for Holy Thursday, what is he doing? Uh, the Vatican refused to answer that question, refused to provide any information as to what the Pope's whereabouts were going to be. Uh, and so Thursday evening rolled around and we still didn't know uh, where the Pope was going to be until uh, an Italian news outlet by the name of Faro di Roma, it means the Lighthouse of Rome, uh, published uh, a piece indicating that Pope Francis had actually spent Holy Thursday in the private apartment of Italian Cardinal Angelo Becciu, where the Pope celebrated Mass with Becciu for Holy Thursday. Uh, in other words, the traditional Mass of the Lord's Supper, uh, only in private, in this case, in the private apartment of a Cardinal, not uh, in the Basilica in full public view. Uh, that report was quickly confirmed uh, by multiple sources, uh, although the Vatican still has not given us any official, official, official confirmation of it. Uh, if you talk to Vatican spokespersons, Vatican officials, uh, they will give you oblique, indirect, not for attribution, uh, comments uh, about the fact that this happened. In other words, 
Everybody knows that it happened, but the Vatican doesn't want to quite say it out loud on the record. Uh, the closest they got was Vatican News, which is the official news outlet of the Vatican, uh, published a brief piece saying Pope Francis had celebrated Holy Thursday at the apartment of Cardinal Bechu, but uh, that was not, uh, it was not confirmed by official sources. Raising the question of uh, what is the Vatican's official news outlet if it is not itself uh, an official source? But in any event, uh, this is a case where the Vatican is trying to exercise that time-honored distinction between, on the one hand, responding to legitimate public curiosity, on the other, protecting the Pope's private life. Uh, they're navigating it, in this case, uh, by nod and a wink. Yes, it happened, not saying it on the record. Now, why are they sort of playing games with this? Well, uh, the idea of Pope Francis going to Cardinal Bechu's apartment for Holy Thursday of all people is somewhat remarkable, given that last September the Pope fired. Beichu, uh, in somewhat dramatic fashion, uh, defenestrated him, actually, uh, at least metaphorically. Uh, Cardinal Beichu had been the Pope's sustituto, his sustitu substitute, basically his chief of staff. He was the second more, most powerful man in the Vatican for most of Francis's papacy. Uh, then there was apparently some kind of mild falling out between the two men. Pope Francis moved Cardinal Bechu to the Congregation for the Causes of Saints, in other words, out of the chief of staff job, uh, and made him a cardinal, uh, which was taken by most people here as a classic case of what the Italians call promovere per rimovere, promoting someone to get rid of them. Uh, and then Cardinal Bechu got caught up uh, in this London a real estate scandal uh, involving the, the purchase, about a, an attempted 400 million U.S. purchase of property in London that went sour, currently the object of multiple investigations and indictments. Uh, so when Pope Francis hauled Beichu in in September and fired him, basically said, I want you out of your job and you're giving up your privileges as a cardinal, everyone took that as a statement that the Pope thought Beichu was dirty. Beichu himself called a press conference the next day to say, the Pope didn't bring up London when he fired him, but he did bring up some other alleged financial irregularities, which Bechu insisted uh, weren't true, uh, and he protested his innocence. But in any event, everybody took this as the most dramatic public humiliation of a cardinal of the Catholic Church since Theodore McCarrick. Uh, now, therefore, out of a clear blue sky, to have Pope Francis showing up at the private apartment uh, of Cardinal Bechu for Holy Thursday and celebrating Mass with him, everyone here is now taking this as an equally dramatic rehabilitation. Uh, that is a kind of indirect admission by Pope Francis uh, that perhaps the evidence against Bechu was not as compelling uh, as it was made to seem last September. Perhaps in the meantime, uh, he has listened carefully to Bechu's defense and become persuaded of it. Uh, perhaps the, the Vatican's own investigations of the London scandal have convinced the Pope uh, that, that Bechu was extraneous to all of that. We don't know uh, until an explanation is given. We won't know. Uh, what we are left with is one of the most remarkable Holy Thursday gestures of all time by a sitting Pope. Uh, and it's also a reminder that the Pope doesn't have to be in front of TV cameras to capture eyeballs. 
uh, because I guarantee you here in Rome, this and not Cardinal Ray's liturgy in St. Peter's Basilica is what people were talking about yesterday and what they will continue to talk about for some time. Uh, all right, secondly, the Pope's love-hate relationship with Argentina rolls on. Uh, listen, the Pope has had a complicated relationship with his homeland from the beginning of his papacy. We are now more than eight years in. He has still not made a homecoming trip to Argentina. He's visited virtually every other country in Latin America, but not his own. Uh, and there are no indications that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, he also has played kind of cat and mouse with a succession of Argentine governments that he's perceived in one moment to like, that he's perceived in another moment to excoriate. All of this has confused people, but make no mistake, Francis continues to have a soft spot in his heart for his homeland, proof of which is that during this Holy Week, he chose to issue a message to young people back home who were part of what are called the Francis Generation. This is a group inspired by a famous Argentine priest, Don Pepe de Paolo, uh, who was one of what the Argentines call the Vicheros priests, that is the slum priests, those who live and serve uh, in the slums of Buenos Aires. They were kind of the beloved elder sons of Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio when he was the Archbishop of Argentina. They remain very near and dear to him now as Pope. Uh, this group had sent more than 100,000 messages to Francis on his eight-year anniversary, sort of thanking him for his papacy, explaining what it has meant to, to them, and Francis was responding to them. Uh, and he used this message as another occasion to press his message of synodality in the church, that is, broadly speaking, a consultative method of governance, listening to the voices of the clergy and above all the people of God. The Pope actually said, excuse me, the Pope actually said that the church cannot make a mistake when it listens to the voices of the people. And of course, the problem with that is the people of God do not always say exactly the same thing at exactly the same time. You have to sort through all of that. But in any event, this was a kind of love letter, if you like, by an Argentine pope to those rank-and-file ordinary Catholics, particularly those living in the Vichas, uh, the Vichas Miserias, the slums of misery back there in Buenos Aires, uh, who were his peeps, uh, who, who were his, his special folks uh, when he was there and obviously remain so now. Uh, all right. Holy Week is, of course, uh, the most spiritually rich and meaningful period on the Christian calendar, the Catholic calendar. Uh, but statistically, it is also the most dangerous week of the year to be a Christian. <clears throat> Every year around the world, anti violent anti-Christian persecution tends to peak at Christmas and at Easter. Uh, and it's no mystery as to why. Uh, those are the two periods in the year when Christians, the highest number of Christians, are likely together in the same place. Uh, and so if you are a religious persecutor, you are a terrorist, in a macabre sense, you get the most buck for your bang during uh, Christmas and Holy Week. <clears throat> this Holy Week began on Palm Sunday with an aborted suicide bombing in Indonesia, an attempt to target a Catholic cathedral in Indonesia, 
We have a couple of security guards to thank for the fact that the only people who died uh, in that attack were the two suicide bombers themselves. About 20 people were injured. They were trying to get into the church compound, but they were flagged as suspicious at the entrance. They were not allowed to enter, so they detonated outside. Uh, and then on Tuesday, there was an attack on a Catholic parish in Nigeria. Armed gunmen stormed the place, shot six people dead uh, in what was perceived uh, as an attack taking advantage of the, the gatherings on Holy Week because the church uh, was, a, was a site where people were able to go to confession during Holy Week. Hence, there were more people there than would or otherwise be the case. Remains to be seen, of course, what is going to happen on the Easter Vigil and Easter Sunday around the world. But I think there are two takeaways from all of this. One, those of us who have the good fortune to be Catholic in the affluent West, that is here in Europe, where I live, in Rome, the mothership of global Catholicism, uh, or in North America, Canada, the United States, where we have never taken our lives in our hands when we go to church on Sunday, and certainly never when we show up for Christmas or Easter. It is, this is an invitation for us to be aware that a staggering percentage of our brothers and sisters in the faith around the world do precisely that. The estimate for Christians killed for reasons related to the faith every year ranges from about three or 4,000 to about 100,000. Now, to put that in context, that's about one new martyr every 10 to 15 minutes uh, versus one new martyr every couple days. Wherever it falls on that spectrum, it is a scourge. It is a human rights scourge that deserves the attention of the international community, but it is also a spiritual scourge that deserves the solidarity and prayer of all of us who share that faith. Second, uh, for political and security uh, leaders around the world, uh, this is a reminder that you've got no excuse. If there is a massive bloody attack on Christians in your backyard this Holy Week, you can say many things in the aftermath, but you cannot claim to be surprised. Uh, and therefore, uh, you should be mobilizing right now to do everything you can to make sure that that doesn't happen. So, uh, especially on this Good Friday, where we, where we commemorate the ultimate sacrifice of Christ on the cross, let us also work into that spiritual meditation and prayer, a reflection on all those fellow Christians around the world today who may unwittingly end up sharing in that sacrifice for the simple act of trying to show up and join us in kneeling before that cross. Uh, all right, uh, the, speaking of the cross, uh, today, this evening, Pope Francis will be leading the traditional Way of the Cross uh, celebration here in Rome, commemorating, of course, the Stations of the Cross. Traditionally, that takes place in the Roman Colosseum, but for the second year in a row, uh, that is impossible because of COVID-19 restrictions. So Pope Francis will be leading the way of the cross in St. Peter's. And this year, the meditations for the stations have been written by children. Now, if you want a kind of hermeneutic key, that is a, a kind of key to interpretation for the message Pope Francis wants to get across this year for the way of the cross, 
you might look at what he did here in Rome this morning as the kind of prelude to this ceremony tonight. Uh, Pope Francis uh, left the Casa Santa Marta on Vatican grounds where he lives, walked across the square to the Paul, the, well not the, across the square, actually it's just a couple doors down, to the Paul VI Audigans Hall, uh, which is where this morning uh, a few hundred homeless and seriously impoverished persons in Rome are receiving the coronavirus vaccine courtesy of the Vatican. Uh, the Pope showed up around 10 o'clock in the morning, this was not on the schedule. Uh, he chatted with the medical personnel who were prepping the doses. He spent time uh, with the homeless and poor who were there in line waiting for their shots. Uh, and it was a statement by the Pope that Christ on the cross demonstrated his, the ultimate in vulnerability, uh, the ultimate in disrespect, the ultimate in marginalization. And if we are to be followers of a God who gave himself up to that fate, uh, then our solidarity also must be with the forgotten, the disrespected, the marginalized, the, those who live in a kind of social exile. Uh, and so this, this round of vaccinations by the, by the Vatican, well, I mean, at one level you could say it's symbolic, although for the several thousand homeless and poor who are going to be inoculated against this terrible pandemic, I would suggest they would think it's substantive as well. But it's symbolic in the most important of senses in that it is tone setting. Uh, it's an invitation from the Pope about the spiritual sense we should make of the way of the cross on this Good Friday, 2021. And finally, ladies and gentlemen, this is my favorite time of the year, not merely because uh, it marks the ultimate uh, festival of salvation, uh, but because it marks the, the beginning of a new baseball season. Uh, yesterday, by the way, my Kansas City Royals were the team in Major League Baseball that both scored and gave up the most runs uh, on opening day beat the Texas Rangers 14 to 10. And that wasn't even the weirdest thing that happened. Cody Bellinger of the Los Angeles Dodgers hit a home run, but ended up on first base because the guy who was on first came back. Bellinger passed him. That guy was out. Bellinger doesn't get the homer. He's on first. This is one of the glorious irrationalities of baseball. I have argued repeatedly over the course of my life that Catholicism and baseball are kissing cousins. That is what Catholicism is to religion, or sorry, what, uh, yes, what Catholicism is to religion, baseball is to sports. There is a genetic affinity between the two. I actually have a list of nine reasons why that is so to correspond to the nine innings of a baseball game. I won't bore you with all of them here. Let me just give you two to whet your appetite. One, drilling down into the weeds, both Catholicism and baseball venerate obscure rules that make sense only to initiates. For instance, take the infield fly rule in baseball. Now, in essence, the infield fly rule is a rule which states that a fly ball, which has not yet been caught by a fielder, may be considered caught according to a judgment call by an umpire in order to prevent that fielder from intentionally dropping the ball and allowing uh, a double play to occur. 
Now, think about this. If you don't know anything about baseball, did you understand a single word I just said? My, my guess would be no. Uh, or take the Pauline privilege in Catholicism. This is a rule that states that a validly contracted marriage may be dissolved, not annulled, but dissolved, if it occurred between two unbaptized parties and one of those parties later becomes baptized. Again, if you aren't Catholic, did you understand anything? I mean anything that I just said, I would guess not. In other words, Catholicism and baseball are both classic illustrations of a great truth, which is, if the rules are going to mean anything to you, you first have to fall in love with the game. And I am in love with both. My second and final reason why Catholicism and baseball are kissing cousins is this. Consider, in both baseball and Catholicism, the ultimate goal of the game is to round the bases of life and get home safely. My prayer for you this Holy Week is that we will take steps towards getting home safely in the spirit of this most sacred of moments on the Christian calendar. That's last week in the church for this week. If you enjoyed it, please give us a like. Please give us a share. Also, go on the Crux site, cruxnow.com, cruxnow.com. You will find full coverage of all of the stories we have talked about. You can also contribute to our online fundraising drive. I will be here next Friday. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, have a, van a fantastic and blessed week. And as we Italians would say, Buona Pasqua a tutti. Happy Easter to everybody.